let's start with prayer, and then we'll also go to prayer here uh, when we get done. Um, and uh, let's see here. Are you all hearing me okay? Wonderful. Hey, let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for this team. Thank you, Lord, that um, we have um, we have had seasons of ministry as uh, as an institution. We've all had seasons of ministry uh, as people um, who are just following your will and uh, trying to be all about your mission. And we ask, Lord, that uh, during this season, um, we, with all the uncertainty, with all the ups and downs, that uh, it would be a season rich with your presence and fruitful for your purposes, and that we might look back on it from eternity and say, um, uh, not how much we enjoyed it, but uh, that that God was doing some of his best work uh, through us during that season. We can't see it all now. We don't know the, the full magnitude now, uh, but Lord, maybe we'd be so faithful in the now uh, that uh, we look we can look back later and be really glad that we walk through it with you and that we are faithful to you and in the midst of it. We pray it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Well, hey, just a quick hit for me this morning. Um, I have I, I just came off of two weeks of vacation, almost two weeks of vacation, uh, which was a lot of fun for me. I stayed home uh, the whole time. So in my life, um, vacation is an opportunity to stay home. And so uh, I was uh, home the whole time. I got to go shooting at the gun range a few times, which is, uh, I hope that doesn't offend anybody. I'm a, it's a hobby I picked up during the pandemic, actually. I just uh, started shooting for the first time in 2020, really enjoyed it. I uh, found out that um, it's just really good. Uh, it's really, it's really a good, it's a good escape for me to uh, do something that is entirely within my control and if I get the mechanics down right, I can hit what I'm aiming at, and I know instantly that I did it. And uh, I find I find that oddly this at this stage of my life very satisfying <laughs> to show up, uh, work on skills, uh, get better at them all within one session, and know when I leave exactly how I did. I don't know if that uh, resonates with anybody else, but uh, it's been it's been uh, fun to do that. So I got to go shooting a little bit. I got to I started reading Doctor Noble's uh, Systematic Theology. Uh, it's a three. It's going to be a three volume uh, set, and the first volume came out, and it's three books. Each book is two hundred and seventy pages or so, and so I, I read part one of uh, volume one. And so, if every volume is three books, it's going to be a nine book set that'll end up being I don't know twenty two hundred to twenty five hundred pages um, for a systematic theology. So it ought to be um, a memorial of uh, a lasting, enduring memorial of uh, of the Church of the Nazarene's uh, theology. I hope that's what it turns out to be. So I made it through the part one of volume one, and this is part one of volume one. And uh, I don't know if you can see this on the screen or not, but I'm one of these messed up people that dog ears my books. And the more dog ears there are, the better the book is. So I could do an index and show you um, how many dog ears there are. And that's uh, that. So that shows this is a really good book, uh, extremely thought provoking, extremely um, thorough. And once I get done with each of these volumes, I'd be glad to loan it out. Um, and um, I think our Bible and theology department ought to have these. Um, Dan and Tom, do you guys already have volume one? Not yet. No, All I right. don't. Um, you should. I'm going to talk to your provost and see about that. 
Uh, and do we have other Bible and theology profs? I'm, I'm, I think that's kind of our, they're, they're our, our co-chairs uh, for a Bible and theology. So um, we ought to, we ought to get on that. Um, but it has been, it's just been really refreshing uh, to read Dr. Noble's, um, uh, uh, he's just kind of laying the background and he's so meticulous about it. He's so thorough that I almost feel like it has been a, a refresher course and, and about all the stuff that I studied starting in the basic theology classes and undergrad all the way through. In fact, he's he my my brain cells are just popping like crazy uh, because I'm discovering what was behind a lot of what my professors were teaching back in the early 90s. And why did they come to these points of emphasis? Where where where, where was the academy in terms of the theological conversation at that time? Uh, because I, I stepped out of the academy for a few years into youth ministry, stepped back in to pursue an MDiv, and, and within a few years, the conversation had totally changed uh, in in the academic uh, realm. At least at least at least um, what I the, the area of the academy I stepped back into, and uh, I've always found that curious that um, within a few years you could be talking about totally different stuff as if all the stuff I learned a few years back just doesn't matter. Uh, like they hit a they hit a dead end and decided, well, let's go this direction now. And then there, somebody writes an article, and other people write articles, and they kind of chase that for a while. Uh, that's that's uh, probably an offensive way to to describe that, but it was my experience, and uh, and and so I've always kind of wondered what's what was behind all that. Why why this chase? And Doctor Noble does such a uh, a meticulous job, meticulous and thorough. Those are the words. <laughs> Uh, of uh, tracing what was going on in the in the conversations around biblical studies and and uh, systematic theology and history uh, during those those different eras and uh, what gave rise to uh, the emphases that made it all the way to the classrooms and so it's just it's been fascinating and uh, seeing how he he's laying the groundwork uh, historically for um, for uh, setting the um, setting the the uh, for establishing the setting I use setting as a verb I was trying to use it as a noun I got myself stuck there but he's establishing the setting the placement of our our systematic theology it's just been fascinating so I won't talk too much about that because it'll be gibberish because I haven't uh I'm right at the end of the first part one of uh, volume one so I need about uh four more weeks of vacation to uh finish the next two parts of volume one so I don't know how that's going to go uh, but it, it's been I've been I had the luxury on vacation of reading slowly and not worrying about time. And um, and it was just if you're a reader, it's just glorious. I mean, I can't think of um, a whole lot that's uh, better than that to read something that's uh, captivating to you mentally. And you got unlimited time just to take your time to, to do it and, and check out the footnotes and and uh, let your mind wander about it. So I'm giving you insight into some of my neurosis here. Uh, I, 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 in the process of this, I, it's got me thinking about um, uh, about the Church of the Nazarenes uh, historical development, the Holiness movements uh, historical development, the Wesleyan uh, Holiness movements historical development, and uh, and how we got to where we are today. Um, I saw something this week that was celebrating uh, J.B. Chapman's. He's an early general superintendent in the Church of the Nazarene uh, and uh, celebrating his uh, involvement in the founding of Nazarene Theological Seminary and uh, talking about uh, what a 
um, what a, a force he was for establishing um, for establishing a graduate school of theology in the Church of the Nazarene. And I've got uh, several J.B. Chapman books, and uh, I stayed in in his dorm at Olivet my freshman year, Chapman 229. So I feel like I've got a connection uh, with uh, with this guy, and uh, he is uh, somebody that, that we can consider, I think, true north. And so I've been kind of, kind of as by way of background to the systematic theology I'm reading, I've kind of been going back and forth between some of the J.B. Chapman books uh, just in my um, in my reading time, and um, you know, he wrote this uh, holiness, the heart of Christian experience. Um, he wrote uh, the terminology of holiness. He's written a whole bunch of other uh, holiness books. So I want to I want to read to you. This is this is one of the founders of Nazarene Theological Seminary, which is my alma mater, one of my alma maters, and I think that's that would be the case for um, for uh, several of us uh, at NBC. Uh, and definitely it's an institution that's had a significant impact uh, in the Church of the Nazarene. And uh, and here's here's what uh, one of the founders had to say about uh, Bible holiness, a phrase that um, is interesting in in 2023 because uh, it's not a phrase that rolls off the tongue a lot. You don't hear really uh, people say Bible holiness, Bible holiness. That that in itself is worthy of note, I think. Uh, but I'm going to read to you his story about how he came to be interested and experienced Bible holiness. Uh, he said his father moved his family into a new country community, and by special appointment, Reverend Albright was preaching at the neighborhood schoolhouse. Uh, so this is how they uh, this is how they uh, started churches. That's a, that's worthy of note too. Uh, during the second service, I became interested in the man and the message he seemed to ha- have for the people. Addressing my neighbor in the seat beside me, assuming while the while the preaching was going on, he asked in a low whisper, what kind of a preacher is Mr. Albright? The reply, a holiness preacher. Well, how do holiness preachers differ from other preachers? And the response was, and you can imagine this happening from a, with a kid asking questions in church. Uh, I cannot answer that. Perhaps you'll be able to see the difference if you listen to him. <laughs> Uh, he said, I listened, but I could see nothing objectionable in what this man said. So I set him up as the standard and reason that those who differ from him must be just that much aside from the center. So although not yet a Christian, I soon I came soon to think of myself as somewhat bent toward the holiness people. So this is this is J.B. Chapman's uh, childhood experience. I think he's around 15 at this time. It was early spring when he heard when I heard Mr. Albright in September, the holiness camp meeting came on. The distance from our house was about six miles, and in those horse and buggy days, this was an hour's travel. I went the I went the first night only to be disappointed by the failure of the evangelist to arrive for that first service. I missed the night, then I came again uh, to find the meeting in good swing. The evangelist was Reverend R.L. Averill from Texas. Night after night, he chose the plainest text and expounded the doctrine of holiness. He held up holiness as the demand of God's law, the provision of Christ's atonement, and the special work of the Holy Spirit in the present dispensation. That might be the best one sentence uh, summary of um, the Ordo Salutis, the planet out or the the way of salvation that I, I've ever run into. Uh, he showed that men must be holy to get to heaven, and that they must obtain this blessing in the world. So he showed that they must that men must be holy to get to heaven, and that they must obtain this blessing in the world. He showed from the Bible, the hymns of the church, and the testimony of men that men are sanctified after they are justified, and that we are made holy by being sanctified holy after we are justified. That on this account, it is, as John Wesley said, a second blessing, properly so-called. 
but it was not the preaching alone that interested me. There was a small but happy band of people ever ready to stand and testify to the marvelous manner in which God had forgiven their sins and subsequently sanctified them wholly. They sang joyfully, gave liberally, and worked incessantly. Their religion was manifestly a great boon to them, and I could not resist wishing I had what they ha I had what they said they had and what they really seemed to possess. One of the favorite songs was number 100 in Old Tears and Triumph, number two. Does that ring a bell to anybody? An old uh, camp meeting hymn or songbook, Tears and Triumph, number two. I'm going to ask my dad about that one. It was based on the 51st Psalm, and the first stanza went as follows. Wash me thoroughly, blessed Savior. Cleanse me from indwelling sin. Bathe me in the sacred fountain. Now complete thy work within. Every time this song was repeated, it seemed to increase in its meaning for me until at last I found myself saying, if I ever get religion, I want the kind this song talks about. At the end of 10 days, the evangelist had to pass on to his next engagement, but the people felt they had not yet had the results they desired. So it doesn't say the next the next phrase isn't so they went home disappointed and talked about how the evangelist let him down. The next phrase is so they decided to run the meeting for a few nights more. Such preachers as chance to come along taking the meetings for them from night to night. And how thankful I am that they had that extra week, for it was during that week that I was brought under conviction for sin and came to the public altar to pray and seek the Lord. That first time at the altar marked the crisis, and Christ came and forgave my sins and gave me a new heart. But I had seen the land of Canaan before I ever left Egypt, and so pressed right on to get sanctification. So when the camp meeting closed, I was clear in the experience of Bible holiness and was already giving clear and definite testimony to the fact I had found what the preachers had preached and what the Christians had declared. Uh, one of the one of the founding generals, well, not founding, but one of the early general superintendents in the church of the Nazarene were reading his story. Uh, one of the key founders of Nazarene Theological Seminary were reading his his testimony about um, uh, his own walk with the Lord. Uh, so that was in September 1899. But today, after all these years, I'm happy in the full grace of heart holiness. I've come to say a few things about this blessed experience to the young people of this day. The majority who read these words will no doubt be older in years than I was when I found this blessed grace. So I feel that I'm not imposing upon them the words of an elder who passed his youth in a manner he is unwilling to recommend to others. Rather, I came to say that God has been so real and so satisfying to me from that night when as a lad of 15, he came into my heart in full sanctifying grace that I can wish for all that they may find him early as I did, and that I am assured they will have no regrets with the passing years. I have called holiness the heart of Christian experience because it is by the way of by way of the full realization of what God had promised to us in the way of crises. Regeneration and entire sanctification are the two crises in which God deals with a sin problem in us and by which he takes us out of sin and then takes sin out of us. That's pretty good. Um, I gotta read these old guys more often. Uh, after that, the Christian life is a way of process and progress, but there are no more crises until glorification comes at the return of Jesus to this world. There is all room for growth after sanctification, but there is no more place for crises. There is no state of grace beyond a pure heart filled with the Holy Spirit, but from such a heart flow forth the passive and the active faces, phases of Christian life as water flows forth from a spring. Holiness is purity, not maturity. Holiness is the goal only in that it prepares one for whatever there is of Christian life. It is the enabling blessing which every Christian needs. 
Um, and then he, he starts off in that very next chapter with uh, holiness and the teachings of the Bible. And let me just read to you uh, from a chapter in the middle of the book. Uh, it's called The Way of Holiness. And I know I'm doing a lot of reading here this morning, um, but I'm like a kid that's uh, that's gotten excited about uh, uh, some good stuff here. Uh, all right, let me let me uh, start this. He says, um, the theologians tell us that we are to be sanctified instrumentally by the word of God, efficaciously by the blood of Jesus, conditionally by faith, and efficiently by the Holy Ghost. He might lose some of us on that sentence. By this, we understand that the Bible is our infallible guide as to the manner we are to go about it to seek and find this blessing. Church of the Nazarene and our Articles of Faith say that we believe that the Bible is iner inerrant in all matters pertaining to salvation. I think that's what he's uh, talking about here. Um, the Bible is our infallible guide as to the manner in which we are to go about it to seek and find this blessing, blessing of holiness. The blood of Jesus is the meritorious price paid for its purchase. Faith is the one prime condition we must meet. And the Holy Spirit is the actual agent for changing, purging, and filling our hearts. Only spirit can change spirit. And that is why we cannot ascribe the efficient agency to anyone or anything except the Holy Spirit, who was very properly designated by Dr. Daniel Steele as the executor of God and the work of salvation. All right, now you, you're hanging in there with me. Uh, let me just draw your attention to this paragraph. In a matter so important as our state and standing with God, we need a sure word. The opinions of men will not suffice. Creeds and statements wrought out in councils are valuable only when they are true interpretations of the divine word. But God has given us an inspired and infallible Bible. Whosoever speaks contrary to this word is to be rejected. The Bible is the touchstone of all doctrine. It is the dependable revelation of the will of God and the way to God. If we get sanctified at all, we must do so according to the terms laid down in the word. Bible holiness is the only true holiness. And he talks about, um, of course, he's got half the book uh, left to go. Uh, but this is uh, J.B. Chapman, who is uh, one of the one of the key founders of Nazarene Bible College or Nazarene Theological Seminary, um, one of their uh, first general superintendents in the church. Nazarene. I'm not sure what number uh, he is. I found it encouraging and fascinating to read his personal testimony, uh, to read uh, uh, about his emphasis, his experience of holiness, his emphasis on holiness, and his um, his trust in the Word of God as an infallible guide to um, to all things pertaining to salvation. And it it, uh, it it has encouraged me this week. It's been a, a breath of fresh air uh, to know that uh, you know what um, what we take for granted, um, and 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 yet what uh, we find taking a lot of hits. Um, we're not out in the left field on this stuff. Uh, we're, we're learning from those who have gone before us and uh, who, uh, who we think are probably right on. In fact, uh, they are the founders of some of our, some of our most notable institutions. And I'm just, uh, I'm thankful to stand um, in the chain of custody, so to speak, of uh, this, this great um, movement, this great biblical tradition. I'm not, I, I'm not in custody of our movement, but uh, but I stand in the way of it. I stand as one who has received from it, and uh, want, I want to be faithful in not trying to put my own spin on it um, And when I pass it on, but to pass on faithfully 
what I have received, what, um, what I think, um, uh, Jude talked about, uh, the, the, what was once for all, uh, entrusted to the saints. And, um, I'm 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 incredibly grateful that I get to uh, receive from that, and I'm I'm remotivated if that's a if that's a, a decent word to use. I'm remotivated to uh, to get a hold of all the anchors uh, that um, that our history and the good people of our of, of the Wesleyan Holiness movement have laid out for us uh, to keep us uh, on the on the path. And to be determined to stay on that path, even as we move forward through history, um, I don't want to wander away uh, from uh, what God has entrusted to us. And so I'm, uh, I'm just, I was grateful to, to run into that celebration of J.B. Chapman as one of the the founders of our seminary, and uh, and thankful that I had access to these books, and um, I'm anxious to read some more J.B. Chapman. Um, I figured since, since I stayed in his dorm. Um, I should probably get more familiar with them. Uh, so we're going to pray together, and I want to uh, I want to just kind of open the floor here um, as I as I'm uh, sharing all this with you. I did a lot of reading today. Uh, I don't I don't recommend that. I wouldn't recommend that to our students. If this was a class presentation, you should probably give me a D minus. Um, but I wanted to get this content across, and I thought, well, this is the most efficient way to do it. And so I hope you'll uh, you'll give me that. Uh, Give me that liberty, that leeway uh, to do it in a, in a manner that's not exactly compelling. Uh, but uh, let me just hear from you if, if, if this sparks anything in you in terms of uh, in terms of um, maybe, you know, some stuff about J.B. Chapman's life and history and um, or or uh, it strikes some some testimony in you about uh, how you came to believe in this uh, in this cardinal doctrine of ours of uh, entire sanctification and, and heart holiness. Bible holiness, as J.B. Chapman called it. 